Carrie? Carrie. Hey, Carrie, what's the matter? What happened? Nothing. Was it one of the girls? Look, did one of the girls do something to you? No. Well, what is it then? You can trust me, you know that? Did you tell me? I got invited to the prom. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. So what are you down here moping around for? Tommy Ross asked me. That's even better. He's really cute, huh? I know who he goes around with. He's trying to trick me again, I know. Maybe not. I mean, maybe you really meant it. Hey, Carrie, let's think about this now. I mean, it might be terrific. You might have a really good time. Carrie? Hey, Carrie, I want to talk to you. It's about this attitude you have about yourself. I mean, you're always walking around, you know, with your hair down, all moping around. Carrie? Come here, you big silly. I want you to look at yourself. Would you look at that? Come on. Now that's a pretty girl. Look at her eyes. A little mascara to bring it out. A little. Your lips. Try some lipstick. You have nice, pretty lips and your cheekbones. Look at your hair. It's beautiful hair. You could just put it up a little, maybe add a little curl. What do you think? Psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien! It's all for you! I am the eater of wood. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another triumphant edition of the greatest October in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 242. Carrie. The most wonderful time of the year. Peak season, as we call it. That's right. We're back once again. Greatest October. If you're a new listener to the show, you might be a little confused, but different theme. My favorite theme. I love the Greatest October theme. Horror-centric. We really do it up big come Halloween season. And we're kicking it off with one of our favorite things to do, which is Stephen King adaptations. I think we've done a few during yeah. some Greatest Octobers in the past. There's quite a range of Stephen King adaptations. Some are certainly better than others, but there's some absolute iconic ones, and this falls into that category. Right. Of course, we're talking about the 1976 original. I think we will talk briefly about the remake at some point as well, but we're, we're focused yeah. on the OG. And so let's get down to business Follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. 
or Podbean or wherever we pop up in various podcasting formats. That's right. Make sure to give us a rating and review on there. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Yeah, getting some good activity on there. If we were a more lame show, we would read some of those reviews on the show, but can't bring ourselves to that. I feel like you're saying that because secretly you want to do yeah, that yeah. now. <laughs> Whenever we have a good one, I read it out loud to Lindsay. <laughs> She's always thrilled. Yeah, she probably is. Yeah. If you'd like a sticker, you can let us know on Twitter. Matt has some to give out for free. So That's right. That stack is way down from what it originally was. Hit us up. I still don't even have one. Well, I'm saving you some <laughs> to give to all your family and friends. And you can find us on Letterboxd, me at Zach1983, Matt at Matt Crosby, just tearing it up, going through horror movies now that it's... Just controversial reviews on there. Horror season. Yeah, well, we had a big discussion. I think that's going to potentially carry over into okay. recommendations. Yeah, So we can save so. that. Right. Okay, so this is a big one. This is a movie that i have been wanting to do for Greatest October for a while. I had it marked down for this year think we could kick off yeah greatest october so obviously i'm i'm holding it in high esteem i'm thinking this is a big kickoff episode everyone sort of agrees it's an iconic movie yeah definitely my appreciation for brian de palma is something that's really grown in the past five years not every one of his movies is a gem but there's definitely a collection of his movies that i've absolutely come to love this certainly is one of them i think we'll probably tie in some of his other ones in the discussion since uh, Nancy Allen ended up being a go-to for him. Yeah, I think my point was building towards I thought all of those things and I picked this movie and now watching it for the podcast, I've realized that this movie is even greater than I thought. Oh. I was sort of blown away by it and just transfixed to the screen and totally absorbed in the story, completely manipulated by it. Totally. emotionally oh yeah invested and there's one sequence that we'll talk about when we get there that is amongst the greatest things ever committed to film in my sure. opinion yes. this movie is unbelievable right. and i think i guess most de palma heads probably respect this movie i'm sure some consider it amongst his best although that's probably pretty split with a bunch of other stuff but for me this is peak because it combines what De Palma does well. There's a lot of oh, yeah. great flourishes, right. especially during the sequence I'm referring to. He's just like such a technician. But at the same time, this has got the mainstream appeal. Definitely. It's based off of a popular horror book. It deals with high school and supernatural shit, and it's not some weird erotic thriller. It's right. not some story that only is going to appeal to like a small segment of the population. It combines what he does best as a director with this broad idea that's going to yeah. find a huge audience. And a lot of the people who were probably seeing this in 76, not to cast aspersions, but I'm sure a lot of them didn't even really sure. care about some of the flourishes he's doing with the camera work and all that shit. His camera work is mesmerizing to watch. I've watched some of his other movies later on in his career, and it's just not as present. But, I mean, in this, and in, in Dress to Kill, and Blowout. All Nancy Allen movies. Yeah. <laughs> the camera is almost like an, another character to watch. Yeah. I guess 
there are a lot of diehard De Palma people that would argue that everything he makes is great, but uh, I'm not in that camp. For me, there's some clunkers. I know I really actually enjoyed Femme Fatale, even though it's sort of crazy. Yeah, I do see that as one that people put in the good category. I haven't watched it in a long time. I wasn't blown away the time that I did watch it. I think you should probably revisit it. Yeah, it's better than you would think. Okay, the weakest link is probably that it stars Rebecca Rain, but it is sexy and okay. Well, that's good enough. He does a lot of the shit that he likes to do. The story is sort of crazy, but then again, so is the story of like body double and stuff. It's not like, you know. (laughs) Body double is its own animal. That is a joy. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Carrie came out in 1976. It was directed by Brian De Palma with a screenplay by Lawrence D. Cohen based on the 1974 novel by Stephen King. It was King's first published novel, although not the first one he actually completed. The novel itself is epistolary. It's a combination of articles and different reports and stuff like that. It's not really told in a a traditional narrative way. And King eventually felt that the movie is better than the book. I've actually been reading his book on writing, despite the narrative I've seen thrown out there on Reddit that I can't read. I actually do occasionally dive in. On Reddit? Yeah. R slash greatest moments. Oh, okay. (laughs) Since it's a book about writing, and this was his first big sale, he he spends a lot of time talking about this. And there's some sadness there, certainly, that comes through in the Carrie character. And you can tell that it's based off something. Usually these things might be a combination of things. Right. uh, Which I think is certainly the case here. And he kind of elaborates on that a little bit even kind of getting the idea for the shower bullying scene and and where that came from but it kind of enhances the viewing experience a little bit getting that deep background from him this happened so early in his career that De Palma's film in a lot of ways and the success of this film cemented his name early on as a big-time writer it's quite possible that if this doesn't happen king's career is significantly different what year was it published 74 oh wow yeah that is so right after okay i've only ever grown up in this world where stephen king is this massive thing and is a lot of his work has been adapted into film or television yeah there were some interested parties but no one had purchased the rights to it and de palma was interested i think it was a friend of a friend of king's so De Palma comes across this book and wants to, to get involved. They actually only paid Stephen King like $2,500. Oh, wow. Which is pretty low for buying the rights for a book. Well, that's the other thing he talks about in his book on writing, which is like just the achievements as you work your way through a career. Like I'm sure he probably calls out when he got that like that was like probably a big moment for him oh yeah he doesn't have any regrets it was such a big deal to have this happen with his first book because the movie ultimately becomes a massive success an instant classic it was made on a modest 1.8 million dollar budget which was odd because horror movies were big it seemed like the budget should have been a little bit more in fact Mm -hmm. they had to scrap some scenes okay 
that they had originally written because yeah. they just didn't have the money. It's fairly limited storytelling in terms of the, the scope of the locations. You basically have the locker room, her house, the field, the gym, and the gym. Yeah. It would go on to make $33.8 million at, at the box office in U.S. and Canada. Although, I think one thing you should keep in mind when we give out the box office figures for movies from mm-hmm. 40, 50 years ago, this movie has probably generated hundreds of millions of dollars, oh, yeah. really, overall. How many different home releases over? Yeah, it just led to a whole thing. Just like almost any movie when we talk about it on here that's become a classic. Oh, yeah. It was a rare thing for a horror movie to get Oscar nominations, but this one got two Academy Award noms for Sissy Spacek for Best Actress and Piper Laurie for Best Supporting Actress. Mm, Yeah, Catherine Martell. But the biggest thing about Carrie, I think, is probably the endless influence it had on pop culture. I think everyone, whether they've seen the film or not, is familiar with the prom scene. Yes. Everyone knows what happens. It's That's become right. one of those stories that just, it's a reference point. Yeah. Hey, and regardless of any like insane telekinetic powers, this movie resonates with people. High school bullying, people get, you know? Oh, it, yeah. It reaches a wide audience. For sure. The movie stars Spacek, Laurie, Amy Irving, John Travolta in his first film role. He was... He... Pops. In the midst of Welcome Back, Cotter, at the yeah, time. I mean, for me, like it, when he comes up on screen, you're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense that this guy becomes a big star. Nancy Allen, who was actually considering giving up on acting and leaving Hollywood yeah. before she got this audition. Maybe we should consider giving up on this show. People have been emailing. <laughs> William Cat and PJ Souls, who we'll talk about more maybe later we'll probably talk about everybody as we go but she did give a, a hilarious interview with the AV club fairly recently in the last decade or so where she talked about how De Palma's buddy Spielberg would come down to the set because De Palma was like hey there's a bunch of cute girls you should yeah. come down she said that Spielberg asked out most of the women on set <laughs> souls included and Amy Irving was the only one who accepted and then they were later married and had a son together. Oh, wow. And I just imagine Spielberg seeing this interview and just being like, what the fuck? <laughs> just completely buried. Yeah. I always feel like it's weird that De Palma was part of that crew. He seems a little too weird for them. Yeah, I think in some ways they considered him like the most talented of the directors yeah. as far as that end of it. Right. I don't know that he would was ever going to have like the same mainstream The mainstream appeal. success, yeah. Nancy Allen later married De Palma, which is probably a reason she's in a lot of his films. Although, I think she's great anyway. I'm I'd not saying say. she got the parts because of that. She also was in like RoboCop and a bunch of shit that De Palma didn't have anything to do with. Right. But similarly to when we talked about Whatever Happened to Baby Jane last time and how that was a two-woman show with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford... This movie revolves, of course, around Sissy Spacek, sure. who is the titular character, Carrie White. She was 25 at the time. Yeah, but you totally buy it. You do. She's very meek. small and yeah. meek, and she fits in because yeah. all of the other girls in high school are also played by people in their mid-20s, so I- I it seems believable. pretty perfectly cast. Hard to 
think of who fits into this role appropriately. Well, she wasn't even going to initially audition. She was convinced by her husband, Jack Fisk, who we talked a little bit about on, I can't remember when. Oh, I think There Will Be Blood. He's one of the great all-time art directors. Right. You see his name pop up in credits. Yeah, he worked on this film, too. Some people thought she was too pretty. She's definitely not anything like how Carrie is described in the book who was sort of a little overweight and very mm-hmm. mousy and brown hair and just completely different. Right. In real life, Sissy Spacek won Homecoming Queen at her yeah. high school. It's not that she's not attractive, but she's definitely got that like pale thing going on. Right. They just rewrote the character to be somebody that they felt if she just put more of an effort and was a different person, but... yeah she could be oh, it's, somebody else it's she, more like she's a, all that syndrome if she, you know just lose <laughs> yeah. those glasses and put that hair down and it's a completely different show yeah and i think in a weird way not to i know that this is always like tricky territory to start mm-hmm. going down the path of women's looks and stuff it's just not really appropriate but <laughs> Fair, i think yeah. I, I think it it applies though to how this story plays out and this also fits with the Carrie remake, which I actually don't think is as bad as some people. I, I think it's somewhat passable as a movie. But obviously it's really hard to buy Chloe Grace Moretz as an unpopular girl I in know. high school. It just yeah. it's baffling. Right. They're um, actually doing another version with Sydney Sweeney as Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> in this original, you can buy Sissy Spacek because she's able to to take on this character and be so weird. Right. But she's also pretty where when you get to the prom sequence, you as the audience, even though you know what's going to happen, you can get swept up in her belief that everything is real, that everything is working out, that she's finally being accepted, that things are really going to change for her. Yes. Because it's not such a joke. She looks like she could be dating this Tommy guy who asked her to the prom. It feels believable. Well, and in that like meta casting thing too, the way that she is in Badlands as kind of like this misguided, lost, innocent, but weird character. I feel like that, that very much fits into this. Betty Buckley, who plays Miss Collins was only 28. (laughs) Who's three years older. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> than SpaceX, and I think yeah. she's like five years older than the other girls, wow. basically. Miss Collins, great character, though. The thing that Carrie does particularly well is it captures the true dark heart of high school, the lawlessness, the caste system, the rampant and unchecked bullying, mm-hmm. the bigotry, the misogyny, the sexual violence, the isolation that some people can have. This, of course, keys in on Carrie's isolation, She's so alone in the world. But if you want to go to almost like the next level up, and this is something that King has talked about when he wrote the book, there is sort of a thread of the fear of feminism in this story, the ultimate fear of a woman having the ability beyond what society allows to just force herself to be on a level playing field, if not a field above you oh, know, yeah, because of sure. this power. And how that is this almost primal, deep-seated fear within men, which is interesting because men are not really the villains in this movie on the surface. It's mostly her female classmate peers. Yeah, right, exactly. But I'm saying 
if you go beyond just the text itself and what is it really about, who is it really scary for? Yeah. That kind of a thing. It goes beyond just the characters in the story, but kind of a, appealing to a a more basic feeling, which is usually how men react to when women are powerful, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> just being scared. It's an unflinching story, too, which is why De Palma, who sometimes is accused of being misogynist or yeah. a creep or whatever, is sort of the right director for this because they're not shying away. He's never shying away oh, from yeah. any part of it. He definitely seems to get some fulfillment out of making people uncomfortable. Yeah, the perfect comparison would be the shower sequence in the new movie, the new version versus the shower sequence in this one. Oh, yeah. It's not even in the same world, really. (laughs) There just was a fearlessness about this performance from Spacek and also the the guts of De Palma. Granted, it was a different time and you could get away with more. It is sort of shocking to see these girls that are supposed to be high school-aged all naked at the beginning of the movie. That is always a weird move. They're all in their 20s, and it's definitely not presented in a sexual way, but it's still something you wouldn't see. Yeah, it's not presented in a sexual way, but it's also presented in a way that doesn't seem like reality. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine (laughs) there were many uh, girls' locker rooms across the country where they're just sort of like dancing around nude. (laughs) So carelessly, like... Just taking their time. Flaunting, really. I was asking Lindsay when we were watching, I'm like, is this what it was like? And she was like... (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) So let's get into it. We're kicking off Greatest October. I'm excited. This is a big one. This is like one of those things where so many things go on in a movie and then all of a sudden the opening credits start. (laughs) Just go through so much and then we're like, okay, let's start the show now. It hasn't been that many minutes, has it? Yeah, it's been a few. (laughs) We're like The Departed. We come in with our opening credits. That's right, yeah. I'm trying to just bring the energy out. This is greatest October. That's right. This is what we've been waiting for. Carrie wastes no time. Almost immediately, we're in the locker room sequence. And for those of us like me who haven't watched this movie in years, it's actually kind of shocking for a lot of reasons. First of all, one of the most iconic scenes is right off the bat. Yeah. And the scene is incredible, too. And (laughs) a lot of people would be like, oh, of course you think. No, but I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the way that it's shot, this is some of the best camera work in the whole movie. This camera's kind of like sweeping in between the lanes. This music is insane. It's very similar to Dress to Kill, the shower scene in that movie, but it's almost like this kind of relaxing, therapeutic feeling music, like very right. soothing music. The music was originally supposed to be done by Bernard Herrmann, who famously scored all of Hitchcock's films, or most of them, I guess. Although he passed away, and so he couldn't do it. And so De Palma borrows that four-note shrieking sound from from Psycho. Psycho, Yes, And they also named the high school Bates High School. But the music was scored by Pino DiNaggio. We've uh, talked about it at length on other episodes, but if you're just a new listener checking in, we should point out De Palma just spent a career operating in the the Hitchcock genre. Oh yeah, for sure. The music is dreamy and almost mismatched to what you're seeing. Right. Although in the opening, it's <laughs> it is this loving steamy post gym class showers, it's very foggy, slow motion 
going across the lockers. That's right. Yep. You have just a shocking amount of nudity, <laughs> full frontal. You're yeah. just like, what in the world? It's so unlike anything you would see now that it is sort of jarring probably right. to younger viewers who are not used to this style of presentation especially yeah. when like we said the girls are supposed to be in high school but, but the camera work like almost adds this level of quality to it or this almost artsy feel yeah whereas i think you could describe this scene and someone would be like this sounds like porkies <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean and to some people it probably is yeah okay they're not going to pay attention to the the details right because this does very much come off as a high school boy's dream of what the girls' locker room sure, shower situation definitely. would be yeah. like. Imagine working up that much of a sweat playing volleyball that you and <laughs> all, all of the, your classmates to, yes, right. need to get completely nude. Spend a lot of time like soaping up. <laughs> yeah, Carrie barely there's, seems like she moved during gym and she's going like full on I know, in this shower. There's, there's not enough soap in the world to get to the level of clean that you were before this volleyball. You know, there's a moment pre-period mm -hmm. where you're watching Carrie in the shower here, and it's shot very much how Angie Dickinson's body yes. double is shot in Dress to Kill. That's right. And the music's going, and you're thinking, really? This girl is unpopular? <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like a fantasy land. That yeah. No one knows what Sissy Spacek looks like. Do they not have eyesight at this school? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's crazy. In the locker room showers, Carrie White, a shy 16-year-old, which I can't believe I'm saying that now that after I just said that. Other thing. <laughs> I know, but that is that weird move. They're like, okay. Which is weird. And they, it's actually good that they stopped doing this. And I think yeah, Chloe yeah. Grace Moretz was actually like 16 when they made the other one. Okay. Because it's sort of fucked up it is. to say that these people are this certain age and then you're, you're having like 25-year-old women play them. And then running around nude, it does really have like it, it a mixed unethical feel to yeah. it. <laughs> it's just something that I guess people didn't think it through. I don't know. I'm not making excuses, but it's just something that it was, is strange that this would never happen now. Anyway, Carrie White, a shy 16 year old, experiences her first period, causing her to panic. Turns out that she's so sheltered, she's never been told about the process at all. Yeah, and at first you're kind of like, okay, I get it. Like, it's not that she's unattractive, but there's something wrong with her. It's insane that she doesn't know about this, and then that gets further explored shortly here. Yeah, I would definitely say that her upbringing has led to her social isolation. Right. But what you do realize kind of quickly, because I think this first part can be kind of deceiving, because my initial takes on this are like, oh, okay, like either she's like mentally disturbed or... There's just something wrong with her. But then you realize that actually there isn't. <laughs> There's a reason. Yeah, she thinks that she's dying. Yeah. She's internally bleeding or something because she has no clue. Which in 2021 is probably hard to imagine. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like you're going to reach the age of 16 without well, you, knowing this stuff. You can certainly be more resourceful now in, in terms of learning things on your own. Yeah, but at this time period, it's definitely believable. Sure. They did not necessarily explain this stuff, and if they did, your parents could definitely opt out of it. Right. And it is a public service announcement for the importance of sex education. I think a lot of times religious people 
I don't want to say fanatics because you don't even have to be like sure. Harry's mom. Yeah, yeah. They don't necessarily understand. I don't want my child being exposed to this smut in school. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they think that it's going to be like blowjob lessons or yeah. something. But in reality, Meanwhile, it's like it's yeah. stuff you need to know. Need to know. And also, I don't think there was any class that made me less interested in sex than <laughs> health class based yeah. on those pictures. Just some of the most disturbing looking male gym teachers <laughs> right. going through this routine with their tiny shorts on. <laughs> Just yeah. a beer belly, really pointing to like a diagram of a <laughs> uterus or something. Just yeah, like, and oh you're my like, god, really? This is this what is procreation. This yeah. is awful. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Honestly, though, watching Carrie in the showers, I, I realized that the exact same thing happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm interested. Carrie's classmates. Did are everyone of- <laughs> start throwing tampons at you? Yes. Carrie's classmates are, of course, ultra-sympathetic and understanding. <laughs> yes, they, they certainly throw an arm around her and are like, oh, she just doesn't understand. Let's show her the ropes. They actually humiliate her by pelting her with tampons and pads while chanting, plug it up, plug it up, until the teacher finally intervenes. Just so crass. One of the things that you understand when you watch this movie and if it never dawned on you earlier in life is that boys are dumbasses but girls are evil (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i know that this is something that we were talking about a little bit before we started recording and i don't know if this applies to like more than just me but it's Mm -hmm. something that definitely i have a hard time dealing with for whatever reason whether it's like pop culture stuff or or hearing stories about real life or whatever i don't really react to when guys get bullied i'm not saying i'm not sympathetic or empathetic but it doesn't upset me or bother me in in any sort of horrible way we just grew up with that as a part of life but so normal yeah it's just my life yeah anything with girls getting bullied though really always upsets me yeah and it's really hard to take now specifically with carrie since you know how it plays out, yeah. it doesn't bother me that much because you know how this is going to go for well, everyone. Well, we've been brainwashed with gender roles to think that women are, are these sweet creatures, but cr- <laughs> turns out they're quite vicious. Creatures. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It just that's some- also what I learned in health class. It just Sometimes it's hard to deal with, that's all. It's no, just, it is. It, you just feel really bad. Yeah, there's something brutal about it. We also learn here that Miss Collins, the gym teacher, ain't afraid to smack a bitch because she smacks Carrie back into reality. But this is foreshadowing. I love Miss Collins. In that Stephen King on writing book, he talks a little bit about the inspiration for the Carrie character. And I couldn't help but feel like, is Miss Collins a little bit of a chance to correct some of the errors of life? Because he definitely talked about, as a teacher, kind of going along with some of the making fun. Yeah. Which sounds horrible in 2021, but believe me, you get it's sucked very real. Right. Not that the teachers would go crazy, but... Yeah. You just go along with the social dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one girl in the crowd of bullies here that seems to have any regret, I think, in the moment. And this carries over through the rest of the film, That's which right. is Sue Snell, played by yep. Amy Irving. Because I think... 
she got swept up in it for a minute and then realizes you that start it's, to feel shitty like it's serious yeah. that it's not like a joke because i don't think in that moment when carrie comes out of the shower and she's screaming and begging for help and she's bleeding everywhere you don't necessarily know what's happening yeah. right at the moment and then all of a sudden everyone's goofing on her and you're just sort of pulled into it for right. a minute it's mob mentality i mean people get pulled into this all the time but then rational people can take a step back and be like oh this was fucked up <laughs> but the rest of the class are sociopaths yeah really who have no remorse it's also the dawning of a new power i don't think i ever really realized from the movie i did read the book once a long time ago and i don't really remember it that well i guess it never occurred to me that because <laughs> i'm an idiot i guess <laughs> that the onset of her menstruation is what unlocks this power for the her. The telekinesis. This is not something that's pre-existed this moment when the light bulb in the shower explodes when she's freaking out here. Yeah. But I guess now, in retrospect, it's pretty obvious. It makes sense. I, I didn't spend a lot of time connecting the two things, but it Well, makes it's sense. reminiscent of Ginger Snaps. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's always sort of a, a menstruation element to these female horror movies, yeah. a lot of them. There was an incident in middle school with a kid that was bullied. He was like a weird kid. I don't want to give like too many details. Okay. He might listen to the show. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Definitely Send us does, a listener request. Definitely does not yeah. listen to the show. He was a weird dude. Yeah. There's really no way. To, I, I don't want to give out details, but he was just weird. Yeah. And the people listening to the show is like, boy, if, if Zach's calling him weird. <laughs> yeah. What level of deranged does this person have oh, to yeah. be? This was pre-Columbine. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> there, there were some thoughts. He was, yeah, yeah. It was odd. And one time he threw up and then fell in it and was like rolling around and like oh, screaming something. It was like right outside of a classroom, this is like a right movie. in the doorway of a classroom. And it was like reminiscent of this scene. And I can't remember what he was screaming. He was screaming like the same thing over and over again. I barely knew this dude. He had like a reputation by the time I ever crossed yeah. paths with him because this was probably like our third year of middle school at that point. So I had heard of him probably through sixth and seventh grade. And then I think we had like one class or something in eighth grade. And so I didn't really know him. And this incident happened and it was completely insane and horrifying. Yeah, it sounds it. But it reminded me of this scene in Carrie where you're just like, this is so unbelievably traumatic and weird. That would be uh, a shocking scene to witness. I don't remember whatever became of this dude. I'm yeah. pretty sure he went to our high school too, but I, I don't know. Sounds I graduated like... in a pretty big class. It was easy to lose track of people. Yeah, the, I got to tell you, the future sounds like it was pretty bleak for him. Oh, he's probably like a tech billionaire or something. <laughs> Following conversations with Miss Collins and the principal, Carrie is dismissed from school for the day. The principal keeps referring to her as Cassie, so then we get her second flare of oh, telekinesis. Just dismissively so. Multiple yeah, Miss Collins keeps keep, saying Carrie. It's Carrie, and right. he's just like, Cassie. You mess Cassie. it up once or twice, but then at a certain point, all right, now it seems like he's just being a dick. Yeah, that is possible. That is what he's doing. And so she leaves for the day. And this opening 10 minutes is the perfect introduction to Carrie White. She is wildly unpopular at school and mercilessly bullied by peers. She has that certain reputation as a weird girl. And we're going to find out that it all stems from being trapped in a home 
with her fanatically religious mother, Margaret, played by Piper Laurie. Just frightening. Evidently, Laurie thought the character of Margaret White was so over the top that the film had to be a black comedy. And she actually maintains that opinion to this day. Yeah, it does seem that way at times. Because this lady is just so nuts. And I completely believe that. Now, here comes something I don't believe. Furthermore, Nancy Allen claims she never realized her character was going to come off as so evil (laughs) until she saw the finished film. She thought that she and John Travolta were playing such self-centered, bickering morons that they were there for comic relief. Oh, no. Nancy, (laughs) that's not believable. I mean, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if the prom thing didn't happen... Maybe. Yeah, I, I gotta say, you're involved in a pretty vile act. <laughs> <laughs> On her way home, this boy riding his bike, I think it was actually, his last name was De Palma. I don't know if it was like his brother or his son. Did he have okay. a son at this I point? I don't know. I don't know. Yelling, creepy carry, creepy carry. Yikes. And we hear the psycho music. Kids are cruel. And she makes the kid fall over on his bike. Yep. Yo, woman. Why didn't you tell me, Mama? <laughs> and God made Eve from the rib of Adam. And Eve was weak and loosed the raven on the world. And the raven was called Sin. Say it. The raven Why was didn't called you tell Sin. Me, Mama? Say it. No. The raven was called Sin. Ooh, woman. And the raven was called Sin. And first sin was intercourse. First sin was intercourse. I didn't sin, Mama. No. Say it. I didn't sin, Mama. First sin was intercourse. First sin was intercourse. First sin was intercourse. And the first sin was intercourse, Mama. I was so scared. I thought I was dying. And the girls, they all laughed at me and threw things at me, And Eve was weak. Say it. No, Mama. Eve was weak. No. Eve was weak. No. Eve was weak. Say it, No, Mama. Say it. Eve was weak. Eve was weak. The curse was a curse of blood. You should have told me, Mama. You should have told me. Oh, Lord. Help the sinning woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. She no. may have been tempted by the Antichrist. She may have committed the sin of lustful thoughts. No, Mama, oh, don't no. lie to me, Carrietta. Don't you know by now I can see inside you? I can see the sin as surely as God can. No, no, we'll pray. No. We'll pray, no. woman. No. 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 So, Margaret White seems pretty cool. I think so. <laughs> you totally understand why Carrie's completely normal. After arriving home, Carrie's mother tells her that her menstruation was caused by sin. <laughs> they go through this whole dramatic routine. But this is what I mean in this scene where you, it's like, oh, okay, Carrie's not dumb. There's not something wrong. She's mad at her mom for like yeah, not ever informing her that this was like a part of life and something that would happen. 
Yeah, I think... Like, she feels humiliated that she didn't... I think more so than being pelted by tampons, I think she's even more humiliated by the fact that she just wasn't aware of it. Oh, yeah, and that's completely realistic. Right. And there's something that comes up later with the teacher and how she punishes the rest of the class that also plays into that, too, where, you know, Carrie's not asking for this. She doesn't want this to happen, really. Because, like all high schoolers she just wants to fit in she just wants to be whatever normal is not because like it's important to be normal i'm not like getting into a whole thing about that i just mean you want to just be left alone you don't want to have to stand out and be as weird singled out for whatever is different about you right those things especially when you're being bullying you would just like to fade into the background of the school and Go on your way. Yep. And of course, she probably wants friends, and she probably looks longingly at what's happening with her peers, having friendships, having boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, exploring life, and she's sort of on the sidelines. And then the crazy bitch locks Carrie in an altar-like prayer closet to pray uh, for forgiveness. Harry Potter-esque, living under the stairs. Carrie later cracks a mirror in a room so we're seeing evidence of her powers bursting out at the seams all over the place she's not really freaked out by him she's pretty comfortable with her powers pretty quickly it seems yeah i think i would be too (laughs) this is fucking cool (laughs) here we go finally (laughs) the house is insane there are windows in it yet a lot of times it doesn't seem like there are it's very dark it's filled with religious paraphernalia you have that one Gentleman with the arrows sticking in him. Yeah, it almost seems like a crucifix, but it's not. No, I, I saw what person that's supposed to be. It's not Jesus. I, yeah. I, I don't remember. But it's filled with all kinds of crazy stuff. And you realize that Margaret White is not just religious. She's not just very religious. She's not even overly religious. She's mostly she's insane. disturbed. Yeah, yeah, she's completely gone right. from the planet. And it's not that much unlike the situation in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, because when you're a minor and you're in high school, you are dependent on your parent. And so she is trapped in this situation where she's relying on a crazy person. It's like a uh, black swan mother-daughter relationship. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Back at school, and this is what I was referring to a second ago, Miss Collins punishes Carrie's tormentors with a week-long detention during gym class. She threatens that those who skip the punitive measure will be suspended for three days and barred from the upcoming prom. I was thinking to myself, I could use this punishment. The the <laughs> workout that she's putting them through is fairly vigorous. You know what I mean? This is the last thing that Carrie would want. She never expresses that because she's sort of excused from gym. She's right. allowed to just go to the library. Yeah, yeah. But... I don't think that if you're in that position, you want this to be any worse. Oh, I know. You want because this to now be it's forgotten. Still, now there's it's still a versus. It's it's them versus you. Right. Inadvertently, that's what Mrs. Collins is doing. Right. That doesn't mean it's right. Obviously, Christine or Chris is the villain. She's wrong, but that's just how high school works. Right. You're setting up this scenario where this dork ass loser got you in trouble yeah and so now you're gonna be pissed now because you can't really fight the system even though christine seems to think you can you can't (laughs) really fight the teachers so who are you gonna take it out on then 
oh, this weirdo girl that got everyone in trouble. That has no one on her side. Who didn't know what a period was, like some sort of freak. Right. <laughs> Sue Snell is the only one of the girls who continues to show any remorse. Her prom date, we find out, is Tommy, played by William Cat, who in a brief little scene in the classroom, Carrie seems to have a vague crush on. There's a little thing there. She just blurts out that his poem is beautiful. It's yeah. sort of a, an odd moment. How would you feel about your poetry being read out loud in class? Great. Yeah, I wouldn't feel great about I'd it. I'd be beaming. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it probably was. A lot of girls in the back real. of the room being like, that was beautiful. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's about like suicide. Actually, it was that guy that threw up on himself and yeah. rolled around in it. <laughs> Edie McClurg as a high schooler. That's right. Shocking. Shocking to see. In my head, this is all the same universe as Ferris Bueller. That's right. Like somehow yes. she escapes at the end. It's the same school <laughs> that she would go on to work at later. Yeah. They thought she died and she didn't. And then she was just the secretary. <laughs> and then she just becomes like a wise cracking secretary. All in all, though, for what happened, it's not a particularly harsh punishment. They don't no. have to well, stay after school. It did seem like Miss Collins wanted more extreme action to be taken. Oh, but... yeah. Well, knowing her, she was pulling out the paddle. Oh, I... <laughs> she was like, you're banned from prom yeah. and you're suspended. And then they're like, well, the office was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. This is a little harsh. Like, we don't even like Cassie White that much. But that's much. what I'm saying. It's not harsh. It's not after school. Right. It's only during their period. Like... <laughs> Their gym class period. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus Christ with this movie. <laughs> I'm sure there's They're like, all in the same cycle. There's probably like young ladies out there who love the movie Carrie and they're like, oh, it's Halloween time. Let me look if there's any podcasts about it. And then they hear these two uh, fucking cretins. Just talking about <laughs> menstruation. Just creeps. Yeah. <laughs> who can't even say the word period now without laughing. <laughs> well, that is kind of funny. No, but you know what I'm saying. I do. And- Christine, Chris, I guess I'll just call her Chris because that's basically what she's called. She can't even handle this. It's like so minimal. I know. For what they did, which is like horrifying. If that happened now, they would all be kicked out of school. They would be expelled. Seriously. (laughs) If that happened now, they would be kicked out of school permanently. There wouldn't be even a suspension. I know. Meanwhile, Miss Collins is the only one being like, we need to do something here. We need to take swift harsh action and the principal is just like cool it (laughs) i think they actually do a a reasonably decent job of explaining that in the remake which i think probably comes from king's source material which is i think chris's parents are supposed to be like super rich sure influential in the area always i think her parents almost step in and are like you can't keep her from going to the prom kind of Mm -hmm. you know like it's a whole thing so then they have to come to the table with a negotiation of what the punishment can be yeah isn't that i think that, that almost seems, is like part of it, that seems right yeah they sort of just gloss over that they're just like well this chick is just like a stuck-up bitch but she seems like sociopathic sure i would just agree. like she has zero empathy right meanwhile carrie's trying to learn about what's going on with her by finding books about magical powers and telekinesis in the library. Yeah, I'm glad they keep that on hand at uh, Bates High School. <laughs> that's like in Jennifer's Body. <laughs> it's like, oh, which... I found this in the occult section. Yeah, that's exactly like Jennifer's Body. <laughs> yeah. Chip is like, 
we have an occult section? <laughs> yeah, it's super small. Right. I'm just doing the whole script. <laughs> and one, two, 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 one, two. Get your knees up. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Come on, you hot shots. One, two, oh, I can't get away with this. I'm gonna get her. Let her go, Chris. Like hell, I will. One, two, one, two, one, two. The period's not up, Harginson. It is for me. Keep running. Well, there are ten minutes left. Stick them up your. So Christine Chris Hargensen, played by Nancy Allen, she can't even stand this minor punishment and tries to confront Collins only to get slapped across the face. Yeah, brutal. I love it. Yeah, I think uh, it was a real slap. And this is where some of the accusations of misogyny comes in because apparently De Palma made them do it like 35 times Oh, wow. Well, you know, you got to get the right take. (laughs) Yeah. Oof. They did a lot of real slaps in this time period. Oh, yeah. Teary-eyed moments. This is a pretty this jarring a, moment, though. I mean, It's a hilarious moment, though, too, because it's it's this... You are like, holy shit, a teacher just slapped a student. Which I doubt was very uncommon in the 70s. <laughs> so you don't think it was jarring for the audience in 76? Maybe a little bit. It probably didn't happen all the time, but... Sure. I definitely think... It, it was, was possible. Mo- it was more of a reality for high schoolers in the 70s. It was definitely on the table. Yeah. Because, yeah, Chris is like, you can't do that. You're going to get fired or whatever she says. But that never seems like that's going to yeah. happen. It never even really gets brought up again. Well, based on the interactions we get, I'm sure we have some listeners that went to high school in the 70s and they can tweet the show if uh, you felt like getting slapped by one of your teachers was a possibility. Well, maybe if you were like this much of a bitch. <laughs> I know. She does like the most despicable thing imaginable and then back talks the teacher and is like, I'm not doing this. And right. just gets in the teacher's Collins face. Is just like, enough. Yeah, well, she doubles down. Right. She's like, if you don't get in my face, I'm going to knock you down. <laughs> Facing the threat of missing prom, Crystal walks out on the detention. So she gets no backing from the other girls when that she tries is, to. That is like my favorite part in the whole movie. Yeah, the funniest moment of the entire movie is we see PJ Souls, who plays Norma. It's the biggest LOL because she's like, she gets specifically called out because she's Chris's friend, and Chris is like, Norma, and she just, <laughs> Norma just stares at the ground just and shakes away. her head yeah. like, no, don't <laughs> drag me into this. I'm not coming to your aid. I don't want to get slapped. <laughs> Oh, God. Plus, you're not really worthy of defending here. PJ Souls was only supposed to be in this movie, like, a little bit, and she hits Spacek with the hat at the beginning of the movie. That's right. After the volleyball thing, and De Palma liked that so much that he was like, okay, we're going to write her into this more. Yeah, yeah. She ends up kind of being a central figure a little bit. She's a main player. 
She's always wearing that hat. I know, even that at the stands prom. out. <laughs> but PJ Souls, this is two years before Halloween, which is crazy. Yeah. How old was she in Halloween, by the way? 48? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She almost looks younger than she does in this movie. You'd have to almost go back to Bella Lugosi or like Vincent Price or somebody like that Dev. to be like, who is in two of the most important horror movies ever made? That's true. Even a scream queen like Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, when the, you get past right. Halloween, it's all second tier stuff. Yeah, the fog and prom night aren't quite. The fog is great. I love the fog. But it's not on the same level as Halloween and Carrie. Right. It's almost incomparable to be in both of those movies. I realize that PJ Souls is not the star of either one, but just to have those credits in your resume is crazy. Yeah. She would do very well at cons these days. I th- yeah, I think she does. I think anyone who was in Halloween probably does. Sure. Carrie finds a definition for telekinesis. Thought to be the ability to move or to cause changes in objects by force of the mind. Yeah. In case anyone listening wasn't exactly sure what this was. Right. Her newfound ability. Racked with guilt, Sue asks her boyfriend Tommy to invite Carrie to the prom. And he eventually agrees to do it. Yeah, he's a good sport. It's hard to tell his motivation in all this. I guess Are he just likes genuine? Sue. Yeah, so he's just he just wants to do it for her. But he really plays it up. Yeah, well, we can talk about that more Okay. the prom. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure what's going on with him. He seems like a good guy the whole time. You never right. get that moment of a turn or it anything. It feels like it's coming, but it never does. It is sort of pimping in a way. I'd say so. If the roles were reversed. Yes. I don't think that people would be too thrilled. People wouldn't be down for this. If you were making your girlfriend go to the prom with another dude. As a favor? As a good deed? (laughs) I know, it's it's weird. It would be weirder if the roles were reversed, I I think. I think so, yeah. But I don't have a problem with it. It's it's all on the up and up. It's it's not sexual or anything. It's just, hey, Carrie's having a rough time. I mean, Sue obviously feels bad for what she did, and she feels like this is something that will, hey, this will really make her night. She's never going to have this attractive jock ask her to prom, so Sue's intentions are to really do a, a good deed here. Hey, Coach said I mean the Nationals. Are you kidding? Yeah. Hey, you terrific. <laughs> What's up? Can I talk to you? Oh, right now? Too important. All right. Tell me if I asked you to do something yeah. very special for me, would you do it? Yeah. I want you to take Carrie White to the prom. I'm not super familiar with Amy Irving. I haven't seen a ton of movies she's in. No. She's unfortunately mostly famous for being married to Spielberg at some point. Okay. But I do think she's actually really good at conveying guilt and remorse in this. Her face is always very easy yeah. to read. She broadcasts that emotion. It's well, a strong I guess performance from her. One of the only bad marks you could give her was that she didn't have the good sense to avoid the cameo and the rage carry too, which I guess some people like. I've never yeah. seen it. Never seen it. I can remember when it came out. I'm not going to trash it because I've never seen it. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like a great idea to me. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I just, 
It just doesn't seem like a great idea. I can't imagine it's good, but maybe it is. I think it's revealed that the main character of Carrie 2 had the same father. Okay. Because you don't really know yeah. Carrie's father. I think that's the connection, really. The rage. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we can really say about that movie, because neither of us have seen it. Yeah. We're introduced to Chris's boyfriend, Billy Nolan, played by Travolta as well. We have a little scene of them together driving around. Not really the yeah. healthiest of relationships. little precursor to them teaming up again in Blowout. Yeah. They fight all the time. She calls him a dumb shit, and then he <laughs> slaps her. He actually slaps her more than once, which is Also wild. jarring. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of slapping. A lot of open hand slapping going on in this movie. Fucking Chris just <laughs> getting a concussion. I know. Getting smacked by everybody. Really? Don't be in such a hurry. Come on. Don't be in such a hurry. I'm hurrying away from you, you know that? No, you're not. Pain right in the ass. You don't mean that. I don't mean that. You're crazier than some bitch. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? Can't you wait a minute? What for? We do this all the time. You're so ignorant. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you like about me, right? I know that. Bullshit. No? No? I know what you like about me. Here, just don't touch me. No! Done shit! I thought I told you never to call me that. You know, you are totally fucked up. That's it. You really are, I know that. I'm convinced. Billy. It's fucked up that they're having this domestic violence, and I th- I'm i wondering if it was supposed to be for laughs. I don't know. The way that Nancy Allen quote comes off about her, how she thought the characters were, yeah. and then the fact that she completely does not react at all to being slapped well, by her boyfriend. It is weird. Yeah, there might be something to why she's such a bitch. 
Like, <laughs> your motivations would be pretty negative as well if people were slapping you all the time. Well, let's just say that they're both pretty toxic people. I think so. It's a rough relationship. I was getting a very Sydney Sweeney vibe yeah. from Nancy Allen. She looked very similar to her in these scenes. For a scene that seems like it's supposed to be a blowjob in the car, Chris is certainly talking a lot. <laughs> Did you notice that? Her head is like down in his crotch, and she's still talking. I'm like, well, then what is she doing down there? Well, she's got a lot on her mind. Revenge. But then why is her face down there, and he's reacting like something's happening? Well. She's like, I hate that Carrie White. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So now that she's banned from prom, she's basically blaming Carrie for that, too. Would have been easier just to do the workout. I think so, yeah. Although, <laughs> I will say, it looked tough. I don't think, I, I probably would have had a heart well, attack. She wanted to go to prom, though. Yeah, I know, but I'd be like, I'm not doing this workout bullshit. <laughs> when you're that age and your whole life is sort of tied in with being popular, in this, you just think the prom is like such a big deal. Absolutely. Now... 20 years later i'm i'm like why did i even bother yeah i didn't proms i went to (laughs) i went to three proms basically yeah i went to one yeah i don't want to get into that no (laughs) you would think that carrie would be our opportunity to share prom stories but i'm not going to it's not we're not going down that that is not territory that we would like to revisit it doesn't even feel like a prom in this movie though because they're having it in the gym and we we had ours at like a hotel ballroom yeah, a place I, I, where you've been, by the way. This is a, it's just a bad. It was a bad student council. They didn't do well. I think it was more common back then. Yeah, Tommy approaches Carrie, invites her to the prom, but she initially thinks it's going to be another prank and runs away. Pretty understandable. This all sets off a series of interactions. We have Miss Collins consoling Carrie and giving her a pep talk, trying to convince her that it could be real, even though she clearly doesn't think it is, because then she grills Tommy and Sue. I do enjoy that Miss Collins is trying to help Carrie, but... I think she realizes that there was some negligence, and she's like, oh, shit. Yeah. I gotta step in here. This is, like, way off the rails now. Right. Something fucked up is gonna happen. Well, she realizes that something horrible happened under her watch in gym class, but she also understands that Carrie was put in a position where she didn't even know what getting her period was, and she's like, oh, shit, no one is, like, taking care of her. Right. Because... It is a form of child abuse. It's negligence in a way. I think in our early days of the podcast, when we covered the virgin suicides, we sort of talked about how what was happening in that film is a different form of child abuse than what you would normally think. Yes. It's sort of negligence in its own way, that kind of a thing. And it's traumatic in its own way. Yeah, and that's what I think Miss Collins understands is happening. And so a lot of good kind-hearted teachers end up going down this road sometimes it works out great and they make this huge influence on their life we'll see if that's how it works out for miss collins no (laughs) (laughs) oh boy (laughs) tommy continues to pursue carrie and even shows up at her front door which truly freaks her out because she's terrified her mother will see him oh gosh imagine that horror show so in order to get tommy to leave carrie agrees to go to the prom with him that's something that can sort of slip your mind when you're thinking about this movie she, she only like 
begrudgingly yeah, agrees. She agrees under duress to right. even go to this. She she is adamant that this is going to be a disaster. Yeah. And it takes a long time to convince her otherwise. And then once she's convinced, it turns into a disaster. Right, yes. Which, Which by is the, the way, perfect way to do it. I, I've lived a lot of my life this way. Like everything. Oh, that. yeah. I see a lot of Carrie White in you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still hoping for my moment. And I'm the voice in your head saying, they're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is true. On the opposite end of the spectrum from what Sue is trying to do, Chris has now roped Billy and some of his doofus friends into her plot for revenge. And all I could think of when you're watching this play out is, who came up with this fucking plan? <laughs> it is completely batshit crazy. Yeah, it is so, so evil. It's so specific, too. And it takes a lot of effort to make it come off. Of course, if you're able to do things. it, yeah. it's right. so wickedly genius, yeah. but... You have to, like, rig a vote, and it's, like, a whole thing. I know. Because she's thinking that many steps ahead. Okay. Well, PJ Souls knows Chris is up to something, but Chris is like, you Don't know, worry about it. Right, but you will be involved. Yeah. And you don't well, figure out It's almost like it the happens, fact but... that Sue has decided to be nice to Carrie has, like, set her off even more. Oh, I know. Like, no, so this fucking popular guy is going to take care of the prom. I'm going to fucking... Not on my watch. Go crazy now. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that you don't understand about Carrie until you like really watch it and think about it. Carrie's mother is crazy, but she's not the villain. Carrie has superpowers and kills a million people, but she's not the villain. Chris. Chris, who you don't even know what her motivation truly is, Might is the villain. One of the most horrific villains i knew a lot of chris's in high school <laughs> did you date any of them no i wasn't cool enough <laughs> i desperately wanted to yeah. i was carrying their books <laughs> i wanted to be the one that would go to like a pig farm with them and kill a pig yeah if that ever happened it would be me getting killed yeah really <laughs> they'd be like you're the pig <laughs> They break into a local farm and kill pigs to drain their blood into a bucket. Then eventually they put the bucket above the school's main stage in the gymnasium. It's in advance. Like, yeah. Like before the prom. I mean, they're they're planning this out like so far. There's really. no smell. I think it's high enough up that okay, and in a big enough room that it, you probably wouldn't notice. It can it, air out. You would probably eventually, but it's. It's probably like big enough. That... It's like a very delicate operation, though. Like you need to get into this gym where there's gonna be an event later that night, and sneak this thing up there and go undetected. There's a lot of steps to this plan where it could go wrong, but it doesn't. Which I guess just illustrates the genius of Chris. Meanwhile, as was to be expected, Carrie's mother does not take the news of Carrie's prom invitation well. <laughs> no. Carrie, you haven't touched your apple cake. Gives me pimples. Pimples are the Lord's way of chastising. Mama? Yeah. Mama, please see that I've got to start to, to try and get along with people better. <laughs> what are you going on about, Carrie? I've been invited to the prom. Prom? Yeah, the senior prom, you know. Everybody's going. It's that teacher that called, wasn't it? Please see that I'm not liking Mom. I'm funny. I mean, 
all the kids think I'm funny. I don't want to be. I want to be normal. I want to start to try and be a whole person before it's too late for me to <laughs> His name is Tommy Ross, and he's a very nice boy, Mama. No. And he promised to stop him and leave you no. before an Emmy and my men. I'm Mama, I'm no. accepted, no. Mama. No, no, no. I'm accepted, Mama. I'm accepted. Come to your closet. No. After all you've been talking. Everyone in bad, Mama. Everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. Boys. <laughs> the boys. The boys. Yes, the boys. After the blood come the boys. Like sniffing dogs. Running and slobbering and trying to find out where that smell comes from. Where the smell is that smell. Listen, I know where they take you. And that gosh, I see it all right. Well, you're not going. Already said I would. Tell that boy you're not going or we're going to move from here. No. You'll move from here and you'll never see that boy again. Hooray's coming in. Mom, please, don't talk to me. Mom, I'm going to please talk to me. Things are gonna change around here. Which? That's Satan's power. It's nothing to do with Satan, Mama. It's me. Me. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. Satan is clever. Mama, I'm not the only one. Other people can do it. I read about it. Oh, you poor child, don't you know? He doesn't let you know he's working through you. I know. He ended your father and carried him off. He ran away, Mama. The devil tempted him. He ran away with a woman, Mama. Everybody knows that. You must renounce this power. You must give it up. You must never use it. I'm going. Carrie is adamant that she's going. She's finally coming out of her shell. She wants to stand up to her mother. I think the betrayal over not understanding her own body because of a negligence there has actually pushed Carrie in this direction. Yeah, she really tells her mom what's up because, you know. The powers are also a big help. That's true. (laughs) But, you know, she starts talking to her mom about the powers and her mom's like, oh, it's Satan. And she's like, mom, it's not Satan, you idiot. Yeah, she unleashes her telekinetic powers in front of Margaret, which <laughs> which is actually like kind of a calm reaction. Yeah. Cuz I my first reaction would be to like scream Holy and run shit. away. Yeah. She's just immediately like because she's that right invested in it that she completely believes in the power of witches and Satan and all that stuff like yeah. This is a thing that exists, and you are that. Yeah, yeah. It's not that weird to her. But again, Carrie just completely is just, Mom, you idiot. It's I would know if it's Satan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then she's like, no, you wouldn't. I read a book, (laughs) all right? They have books in the library about this. They really start padding out the runtime a little bit with that tuxedo scene and like these weird montages that don't really fit with the movie. 
I would agree, but there's like not that much that happens. So that I feel like the build up to the scene is pretty long, actually. Most of the movie is the build up. You mean like at the prom? Yeah. The blood spilling scene is the scene for me. Yeah, but when you say the build up to it, do you mean the whole movie up to yeah, that yeah. point? Right. Right. You're walking into that prom at the 58 minute mark right. out of an hour and 38 minutes. Yes. But this movie is so associated with that scene. It feels it, actually early, though, that they're at the prom because yeah. the movie's short, I guess. It is a short movie. Because, again, there doesn't seem to be a lot to it. There's an incident in the showers that sets off a chain Chris of and it sets yes. off Sue. Sue feels bad, so she's going to get Carrie at this prom day. Chris is pissed that she ends up getting banned from the prom. Doesn't the whole thing have this kind of suspicious feeling? You're not 100% sure about Sue and Tommy and their involvement in this. As it's leading up to it, it's hard to like tr- fully trust them. Yeah, because you're sort of in Carrie's shoes a little bit. Right. She's not sure to, if she can trust them because yeah, she yeah. knows who's friends with who and all that shit. She's not a total idiot. Right. She knows whose boyfriend is who. Yeah. And there's never a scene where sue comes to her and explains what's happening because i guess they want her to think it's a real date so she's going to ruin that illusion i know but that also is fucked up in its own way too it is but not intentionally right i know it's not sue's motivation to because there is a certain innocence to the idea of a prom date it's not like they're going to be boyfriend girlfriend it's not like he needs to have sex with her or anything like that it's this magical night she's never had anything like this right and that's what I think Sue is thinking. This will be a, a good And that thing hopefully for her. it'll just end happily. And then, you They'll know, move, I'll just everyone continue will move to on. date Tommy yeah, later. Right. And then, you know. Although I'd be a little bit worried about Carrie uh, getting a little attached. I guess it's a risk that she's willing to take. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I guess, in all fairness, you don't really know how she's going to react. Yeah. Carrie just after tonight, like, none of this stuff happens. The bucket's not there. After tonight, Carrie's just like, oh, well, me and Tommy are dating now. Well, if nothing too severe happens, then maybe Sue could coach Tommy on how to like, like gently let her down. Okay. But I think it's sort of like Pete Davidson dating Ariana Grande <laughs> and how yeah. once you're in the club, right, you're now dating Kate Beckinsale or Margaret Qualley or whoever the other hot chicks are that this fucking loser Douche. Pete Davidson can get. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So once he, like once Carrie, she's seen at the prom right. with Tommy, it's it's any all pick bets from off. the football team, and she looks great. Yeah. So if, why wouldn't another guy want to date her? Right. In fact, there is a line. I actually wrote a question mark after it, where Billy from under the stage calls Carrie cute. I take it to be he's serious. Yeah. I, yeah. It doesn't seem like he's joking. No, I would agree with that. So all of a sudden she's being noticed. Yeah. She dumps Tommy. She's like, I got, I got other options <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> As Carrie gets ready for the prom, Margaret tries to stop her from going. She's freaking out over Carrie's dress and the styled hair and the makeup. She refers to Carrie's breasts as dirty pillows. Oh, no. Which I remember being straight from the book. Dirty pillows. Yeah, that's an odd one. Oh, boy. Right. I might have known it would be red. It's paint, Mama. What Tommy gave me, Mama. Aren't they beautiful? 
I can see your dirty pillows. Everyone will. Breasts, Mama. They're called breasts. And every woman has them. Take off that dress. No. We'll burn it together and pray for forgiveness. No, Mama. Well, he's not coming. He is coming, Mama. Now stop it. I'm nervous enough. No, he's not coming. He's not going to come. Margaret is so terrified of anything sexual that it's all evil, even a woman's breasts existing. Which nowadays I think like men would be accused of sexualizing breasts. Right. But clearly that's what Margaret's doing. Yeah. Because yeah. even having a woman's body is sexual in her mind and right. that's a sin. Yeah. It's, Hard to live. It's so demented. Yeah. She keeps saying they're all going to laugh at you. Which is the name of one of Adam Sandler's comedy albums. I remember that. Okay. And he was sort of imitating the voice. I, I guess I probably, when I f- was listening to Adam Sandler in like middle school, I didn't realize yeah, I didn't know what was it was. Referencing it. It ends with Carrie physically restraining her mother via her powers. And her mother saying, thou shall not suffer a witch to live. So that's sort of an ominous sounding threat. <laughs> Just throwing holy water on her. Tommy picks her up and they go to the prom. She's nervous. Tommy gives her a pep talk when they arrive, and we are in the prom at under an hour into the movie, and you're thinking, like, holy shit. But there's actually, like, 38 minutes left. Yeah. It's an extended sequence at the prom. Norma's the only one that laughs at her when they get into the prom. But then you look at Norma's date, and you're thinking, like, this goof? Uh, yeah, like, what What are you laughing yeah, at? Yeah, he's, like, straight out of Animal House. There's no Sue. She's staying home. It seems to be a rule that you have to have a date to come to the prom, and Sue's just sitting it out. Yeah. Almost like a self-imposed punishment. And if you try to show up without one and they turn you away, just how mortifying. No date. Loser. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone starts chanting, plug it up, and just chucking tampons at you. It's like that scene in Wet Hot American Summer, except it's like a faculty member. You're a pig. The one from the original movie <laughs> with Ken Marino and the, Joe LaTrulia. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you're a loser. 
<laughs> I'm sure everyone will know exactly what we're talking about. Miss <laughs> Collins is there. She's sitting down talking to Carrie, basically almost as like a peer. Right. And I was wondering, I'm not sure if that's helping or hurting Carrie's case in her quest to be accepted and be normal, well, to have your best friend at the prom be a teacher. Miss Collins definitely has the best intentions, but... Yeah. She's oh, not- yeah, she definitely does, but sometimes I think teachers can be a little oblivious right. to the reality of yeah. how uncool they are. <laughs> Carrie's just like, Miss Collins, you're, you're harsh in my mail. That was actually one of our reviews. Yeah. These guys are oblivious to just how uncool they are. <laughs> right. For a while, it feels like a dream for Carrie. She's having fun, and for the most part, people are being nice and accepting. No one's really making a big deal out of her being there. She's fitting in. Tommy is being a gentleman, and eventually they dance. It's this very dizzying scene shot from below them, but they are twirling as the camera's twirling, so you have this like sensation of double twirling that oh, yeah. goes on for like forever. It's kind of hard to deal with. It's almost like you get nauseous from it. <laughs> it's almost too perfect, really. But secretly... Chris and Billy hide underneath the stage while the other conspirators switch the ballots to ensure that Carrie will win the prom queen title. Yeah, when I was watching this, I was like, you know, it had been a long time since I'd seen it. I was like, man, it's super weird that people would just vote for these two. And I was like, oh, it's a setup. Yeah. Sue sneaks into the prom to, I guess, see how it's going. And they have the fastest vote count ever right. in the history of counting yes. votes. <laughs> well, she like dumps them on the table. It's like, oh, we got more votes. <laughs> like they were already working on it. Tommy was like, stop yeah. the count. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this all sets off basically one of the great things ever, this whole sequence. Tommy and Carrie are announced as the winners. The score swells. Slow motion walk to the stage. The dream is now real. We all know where we're heading, and we just don't want to get there. Yes, this is perfection in filmmaking, Uh, where you know what's going to happen, that feeling of anticipation and dread, Yeah, the way this has been set up throughout the movie, where you're very 100% clear on what's going to happen. And the Sue perspective is, like, incredible. Oh, the the shot where they track across the auditorium and then they go to Sue. Sue seeing the right. rope. It yeah. tracks all the way up in one shot to and see the just, blood. Like the slow dawning. It's almost like we're in Sue's perspective for that moment. and Piecing it together, making our way up the rope all the way to the bucket. And it's just like, oh, no. And the inability to do anything about it. As Carrie stands on stage with Tommy, finally beginning to feel truly accepted by her peers, Chris and Billy pull the rope attached to the bucket of pig's blood and douse her before sneaking out of the school. As you said, Sue sees what's happening, but it's it's all too late. And Collins, who sees Sue and assumes that Sue is doing something to, to no fuck good. with Carrie, yeah. throws her out, misreading the situation, inadvertently saving Sue's life. Right. The empty bucket hits Tommy in the head, knocking him unconscious. The crowd watching this happen as Carrie's now been doused with the blood and all this shit's going down, they're just shocked and mostly speechless. Carrie, though, visualizes everyone mocking her. So this is a moment where we can sort of figure out what's really happening. I think that really only 
Norma and maybe a couple others are actually laughing. This is how I picture any attempt at a live show we would do to go. <laughs> yeah, I would dump pig's blood on your head. <laughs> yeah. But not even like with a rope. I would just take a bucket and right. hold it over you. Well, because you were going for laughs and you got them. <laughs> no, but seriously, what do you think? Do you think they're all laughing? Because her fantasy even shows like the teachers and Miss Collins laughing, right. which you know is not real. Right. But then later. But it seems like. PJ Soul's laughing. Right. And she's trying to get yeah. other people to laugh, but it seems like no one laughs really. Right. Barely. I mean, look, I know kids are cruel in high school and everything, but this is shocking. Yeah, I think that in Chris's mind, this was going to be unbelievable. I think she overplayed it. Right. And, and I think that the majority of these kids are like, what the fuck? Stunned by yeah. what just happened. They're just like, what in the world? <laughs> Chris is like, well, I wasn't going for laughs. I was going for gasps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh. In a sudden outburst, Carrie telekinetically seals the exit, all of the exits from the gym. Yeah, it's just like, oh, shit. Using a fire hose, once again telekinetically, to herd the crowd back into the room. An enormous fire erupts, killing most of the attendees. Even Miss Collins is not spared. No. It's a total massacre. <laughs> you see some characters specifically killed, others you just assume. Yeah, no one here makes it out. No. So this is the sequence that I was referring to earlier that I thought was just amongst the greatest things ever filmed. From the moment Tommy and Carrie are declared the winners... The slow motion. Oh, yeah. Sue's realization, the way that's shot, the elaborate awesome. shots all throughout. The close-up of Chris's face as she prepares to pull the rope. Oh, yeah. There's several of them, including like her lips, when she like licks her lips. Well, even the Miss Collins angle, like her seeing Sue and thinking that she's putting something together. The split screen, which evidently De Palma shot this all intending to use split screen and then ditch most of it and there's only like a little bit of it because he didn't think it all worked he's a big fan of split screen for he sure. uses it a lot right. later in films i think it's cool that it's pretty sparing yeah his flourishes are restrained they're there but they don't dominate this story you don't even need to be paying attention to them you don't need to be some film nerd to care about this shit because the story is so powerful you're Definitely. so transfixed on what is going to happen you're so emotionally manipulated by this. You know what's coming. Yeah. You watch it happen. And it is like that moment where Dr. Melfi is raped in Soprano season Oof. three, where you want her to unleash Tony on them. You're like, I know that most of these kids are innocent and I don't care. Right. <laughs> Carrie, please do Kill this. them all. Yes. <laughs> because that's powerful filmmaking. You are now throwing out what is actual justice, what's actually fair, what's, the rule of law you're just like i want revenge now and that's great because that's you're living vicariously through a film i mean you don't want to apply that to real life but in the magic of the moment of watching a movie yeah you're sucked up into it and to keep you on the hook the two that deserve it the most have fled the scene yeah all the way up through carrie walking out of the burning building covered in blood that 10 or so minutes. Oh, yeah. Just cinema perfection. It's so great. You can see why Tarantino often puts Carrie in his top 10 films ever made list. You know, people like Edgar Wright love this movie. Every filmmaker 
loves this movie because it's technically proficient from a lot of those For ideas. Sure. But it's it's so basic in its pleasures. It's right. like pure revenge. <laughs> and it's done so well. Oh, I know. You want Carrie to have her revenge more than pretty much any character imaginable, really, because it's so effective in conveying what the story is. And she gets it, convincingly. As Carrie walks home covered in blood, Chris and Billy attempt to run her over with Billy's car. Yeah. Just, they probably could have gotten away with their lives if they just did not... They watched! They fucking were watching this happen through I the know. windows. I would get in that car, and I would just be driving as I guess far it's away not from clear. as possible. To anyone, what's happening? Right, because she's not even really moving her hands. That's or anything. true. She's just yeah. standing motionless on the stage. It's uh, like the gym is just committing suicide. <laughs> like it's lighting <laughs> itself on fire somehow. Yeah, like the fire hose is just going nuts. The way that they sh- show it in the movie, you're not even a hundred percent sure that she's intentionally starting the fire. It just seems almost accidental as a result of everything yeah, else. Right. Yeah, it's unexplained. It's what happens when she gets pissed? Even in the aftermath of this, how is this even explained by the people, like by Sue or by anyone who wasn't there? Right. Like, how do you even explain what There happened? was an accident in the gym. I know, it's weird because there's a dream sequence at the end, but they make it seem like people are aware that this is Carrie's fault somehow. Yeah, but how do they explain right. it? Right, yeah. This 88-pound girl <laughs> killed everyone Just in the gym. mass destruction. <laughs> I think in the book... She destroys, like, the whole town. Oh, wow. Good for her. As Billy and Chris are trying to kill her, Carrie causes the car to swerve, then overturn and explode, killing them both. As I was mentioning to you, I thought that this was maybe the one moment in the remake I thought was a little cooler. Just because, like, sometimes the 70s car crash stuff doesn't look as good. Yeah. Carrie returns home to a house full of lit candles they are everywhere. Oh, no. Even Mom. on the bed. Like on little plates or whatever, you know. Yeah. Her mother, meanwhile, is MIA. So Carrie hops in the tub and cleans the blood off. Afterwards, Margaret just, just appears from behind that door. Yeah, just, just totally lurking normal, there. And reveals that Carrie was conceived when her husband was drunk. An act that Margaret shamefully admits she enjoyed. Oh, no. It's like, okay, even in the Bible, you're allowed to have sex with your husband. Well, I know, but she was like, well, we were living in sin, you know, sleeping in the same bed, but we we were never going to do it. Yeah, they were married, too. And then the whiskey. (laughs) Imagine how much you would have to drink if you were married to Margaret. Yeah. Oof. Margaret comforts Carrie, and then they start to pray before she stabs Carrie in the back with a kitchen knife, causing Carrie to fall down the stairs. Yeah, I don't know, Margaret. Did you see what she was capable of earlier? Yeah, you're going to have to do better. I would make sure that whatever shot you're taking, make sure she's dead. Margaret chases Carrie through the house, but Carrie levitates several sharp kitchen implements and sends them flying towards her, crucifying her. Yeah, it looks like that thing from earlier. Bringing forth almost an orgasmic reaction. That's true. It's very odd, her way of responding to the instruments being jammed in her body and being hung up on the wall there. Carrie then brings the whole house down on top of them both, killing herself in the wreckage. 
Yeah, hard to come back from this. Something that Spielberg would almost recreate, not that he was the director, I don't want to go down that road, in uh, Poltergeist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. I Visually, do, yeah. it's sort of similar. It is, yeah. The only survivor, evidently, of the whole ordeal is Sue, who's having a hard time coping. Thanks, Miss Collins. So let's talk about it before we talk about her dream. I'm pretty sure that Sue is innocent. I'm 99% yeah, sure. I and I'm like 85% sure that Tommy is completely innocent. I would agree. It's His reaction different. when the blood hits is like, what the hell? Right. It's, you right. don't hear him because there's not really sound, but he like, you know, yeah, like he's freaking stunned, out. Right. And then he gets hit with the bucket. Yeah. And then dies in the fire, I guess. Right. If he wasn't dead from the bucket. I think it's the fire, though. I, yeah, it's pretty wild i'm ruling i'm yeah. ruling him innocent as well i guess it could be a cerebral hemorrhage i mean that bucket could be like pure steel i'm not that concerned with how he died <laughs> <laughs> i'm more concerned with whether or not he was innocent i agree but i do think that they do make you think about it intentionally probably right. yeah. so that you get into the mindset of carrie yeah yeah she's not sure what's gonna happen so they don't want you to be so sure. the whole time when he's doing all this stuff it feels like it's building towards a turn that never actually happens. Yeah. He's kissing her at one point, and right. then he invites her to that place that they're going to go. I don't think he would even go through with the charade of inviting her if he knew that any of this shit was going to happen. I would like, agree. Like, why would he even bring it up? Yeah. I totally agree. I think he's innocent, but it's just played in a way where you're not quite sure. So it seemed like Billy, Chris, Billy's two friends, Norma, Norma's date, who may have been one of Billy's friends, I, I'm not really sure. Did anyone else know? I don't besides know. Besides those co-conspirators? Uh, I, I doubt it. You gotta keep it tight when you're playing with things like buckets of pig blood. <laughs> so gross. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of innocent people died, including poor Miss Collins. Just collateral damage. Yeah, certainly uh, hard to recover from this. I'm sure it took a hit on many of the sports teams at the school well i think the school is wiped out basically yeah that's it do you think that anyone in the gymnasium realized that it was her doing it or do they just they weren't sure what was happening it was just complete chaos probably just complete chaos i don't know there are parts where it seems like people feel targeted it's all very quick i think in the movie they're trying to convey that some of them sort of sense that it's Carrie, yeah. but in reality, that you would you would just be like, "What the fuck is happening? Right. Well, how is this fire hose just going off by itself?" <laughs> yeah, fire hose starts going off. You don't immediately think, "Oh, we're all going to be dead." And I'm like, a "Oh, minutes. Zach is doing it." <laughs> is that a joke about my penis? No, your telekinesis. So Sue has a nightmare. It's one of the more famous jump scares because it's one of the early ones. It predates the one at the end of Friday the Thirteenth, which. I do think is slightly better than this one. This yeah, one is telegraphed so. pretty far. Although, if you get into the mindset of 1976, it's insanely unexpected. For sure. What's happening is she just walks to the wreckage of the house. There's like a Carrie White Burns and Hell cross in the ground there. Right. That's the part I was talking about where it's like people, the even town. though this is a dream, it yeah. feels like it's supposed to be a dream somewhat based in Sue's reality. So it's like, Right. Everyone in town blames Carrie. Yes. You know. Somehow. She's going to lay flowers there, and then an arm comes up out of the gravel, grabbing her. I kind of wish it wasn't a dream. Yeah. That would be a, a wild ending. 
it would be a setup for a sequel, which yeah. is probably what they would have done if this movie came out a few years later, like after Halloween. Right. And they were like, oh shit, we could just keep going a, with this. There's a market here. Now, they shot this whole sequence backwards to give it an eerie, dreamy feel, and it does seem strange the way it's moving. And the arm coming up out of the gravel was Sissy Spacek. She did not want to force a stunt person to do this, so she got buried by gravel. Oh, wow. To do this, like, one little jump scare How thoughtful. Moment. Yeah, and I think De Palma was like, well, I'm not doing it. So Spacek's husband, Jack Fisk, did it. Oh, wow. Her. Oh, shit. <laughs> the 70s yeah really <laughs> anything goes <laughs> yeah they think they spent a couple of weeks just on that prom shit and you know a bunch of different takes and it's just shocking how good it comes out absolutely because it's so iconic that you don't think it's actually going to live up to the legacy of itself like you're going to think okay this is i know what this is this is you know not that big of a deal i've seen it but and then you rewatch it and you're just like so sucked into yeah, it you're like this is incredible so they did a sequel, I think in 99, called The Rage Carry 2. We never saw it. They also did a TV remake version where they had a completely different ending where Carrie lives and then Sue and her like sneak off to Florida. Oh, wow. And I think that was supposed to be set up for a, a show that never came to fruition. Interesting. But it is a famous TV movie because you can still find it on like Roku and look it up and stuff. It's, okay. it's available to rent. And I don't stream. remember that coming out. I think it was like 2002 maybe. It was after yeah. the sequel, I believe. Yeah, but just a few years. And then in 2013 they did a remake with Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore. Mm-hmm. Portia Doubleday is in the Nancy Allen role. I don't know who the dudes were or anything, but it's sort of reviled. I think critics were like, what is the point of this? They don't really add much to it i think they well, film a lot of those the locker room incident and they broadcast that during the prom during the blood thing okay. to sort of add like a modern technology layer of humiliation right so now like boys are seeing what happened in the locker room oh, with the that, period. well that is horrible but it's sort of toothless when you compare it yeah. to 70s filmmaking they're not going all the way with some of that stuff and they don't really add anything special to it. I just I didn't mind it though. It's, as far as horror remakes go, it wasn't an abomination or anything. Yeah, I thought mostly, it was uh, fine. Uh, unmemorable for me. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. a fair description. Unmemorable. Okay. Right. So there you have it for Carrie. A pretty uh, iconic way to kick off Greatest October. Definitely, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's actually better than I thought it was going to be. It is. And, same. I mean, I'd seen it before, but it right. had been a while. I was like, holy shit, this is so good. Yeah, uh, same for me. I would almost make it tighter. I would get rid of that weird tux part and yeah. like, get it down to like a, a lean 90 minutes, like cut out like eight minutes worth. I could have like eight more minutes of detention with Miss Collins. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're in this class for 30 minutes. <laughs> Calm down. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Chris is like a lot of horrible things, but she's like, first and foremost, like a baby. Oh, I know. It's like, Jesus Christ. I love it when is just Sue like, is just on. like, shut up, Chris. Right. Yeah. That's when she realized she wasn't going to get any backing for like her running and telling on the teacher for slapping her. Yeah. Like, everyone was going to be like, I didn't see anything. <laughs> it was like Roadhouse. <laughs> what are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. All right, folks. Let's get to recommendations. 
I have one. Do you? I thought we were going to do like a joint. I thought you didn't like this movie. Uh, my rating is a half a star different than yours. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you, you're endlessly complaining and I'm putting it over big. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, the, based on our discussion, it's like you're a five and I'm a one. I was close to a four. Yeah. And I backed down to three and a half. Okay. I was close to a three and a half, but there were some things that I was like, eh, I, I didn't love this. I don't know. Maybe if you wait a while and you revisit it, yeah. I think sometimes you with movies like this. Sometimes my first viewing, you have you to know. shrug off your expectations. That's right. That's right. Of course, we're talking about on HBO Max, The Many Saints of Newark, the Soprano story prequel. Yeah. Starring a bunch of people. Right. And there's some great acting in it for fans of The Sopranos. I, I loved the Dickie Moltisanti angle. Loved Vera Farmiga as Tony's mom. But I thought the some of the fan service stuff bothered me a little bit. I, I thought there could have been a little bit more subtlety to it and not as much in your face with that stuff. But Well, I agree, but I, I think that they're playing to an audience that isn't as into it, the Sopranos as like the obsessed fans. Yeah, that's fair. They want even like the more casual Sopranos fans who maybe didn't even watch the show or or who haven't watched the show since it aired. Right. To remember, like, to have some of this stuff hit them. That's right. Yeah. They're not playing necessarily to the people who have seen every well, episode I just, like, I, like, three or four just times. rewatched it over COVID, and that was probably the fifth or sixth time I've seen the series. Yeah, through. so it's probably all hitting you over the head a little bit. Yeah. I enjoyed the film a lot. It's not perfect. If you never watched The Sopranos, it's not going to appeal to you that much. And that's a flaw. Right. The best thing you could say about a movie like this is like, oh, you don't even need to watch the show. It stands on its own. Some people would maybe argue that it does. I would say that it's not going to be that effective. The story is mostly interesting if you get why it connects to other stuff. That's true. It's not that interesting it's on its own. standalone story is not that strong. Having said that, I enjoyed the casting choices of the people that would roll over into The Sopranos. I thought it was all pretty good and i laughed a lot i laughed that, more definitely. than any comedy from the last five years easily there were definitely a lot of laughs in it and i th i thought that it was a nice little introduction into a potential sopranos universe if they wanted to do future films or miniseries or anything from different time periods i don't know what kind of interest david chase has in that i don't know how much ownership he has i don't know if hbo wanted to I do it I anyway i saw that he said something, he would do another one if Terrence Winter was interested in working with him again. And Terrence Winter said absolutely. So who knows? There might be something out there. But again, yeah, obviously, like they need funding. So HBO would have to be interested. Yeah, it's going to depend on the reception of this one overall. It seemed like reviews yeah. were mostly positive, but it's really hard to get a read on what qualifies as, as a successful movie when yeah. they're doing streaming at the same time. I would have. No interest in seeing this movie in the theater since it's streaming. Not because I don't want to go to the theater, but just because I experienced The Sopranos as a TV show. So watching this as a a long episode of The Sopranos feels normal to me. Yeah. So I definitely think that it's not going to be like a runaway box office success. Not even close. So it's going to depend on how much of a draw it seems yeah. to be to HBO Max, how many people are watching it. Like I said, there was a lot of parts that I liked. If there was one thing that I hated, I really did not like the Christopher voiceover stuff, the narration in the beginning, and then it weaving back in. I, I could have done without that. 
Completely. It's interesting because I saw some people love that. Yeah, no, I felt like Frank Darabont talking about Blade Runner, where the voiceover narration stuff at the end was just like ruining everything. I did not like that. I, I just felt like we know about like the connections with the Christopher stuff. We don't need him saying these things. Yeah, but you know. Okay. But I don't know that they think that everyone knows. Right. But then if you don't know, don't isn't it then a prerequisite that, or or I guess a requirement that you go back to watch The Sopranos to understand that? Well, maybe they just wanted to include him. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I thought it was... I See, that didn't. That really didn't bother me at all. I didn't love it or hate it. It, yeah, yeah. it just didn't even register that much. Right. I was just like, okay, that's the intro to the movie. And then he talks a little bit yeah. in, throughout and then at the end. But it wasn't like overwhelming or anything. Okay. It was pretty minimal yeah. narration. The only thing that they probably could have done better was make the plot a little more interesting sure they spend a lot of time on stuff that like doesn't really ever come to anything right although that woman from italy one of the most beautiful people i've ever seen absolutely (laughs) you and i talked about it a lot before the show today but i I mean really i could have stood to see a lot more of the dickie moltisanti tony relationship yeah which is a big overhanging presence on the series and now is our chance to kind of see it and while they have a decent amount of screen time together you don't really get a good feel for them having this great it's interesting because as a movie slash tv show you would think that you need the characters to have way more interaction that's what makes sense that what that's what makes it interesting you need to see it in reality like if it was like real people not fictional i could totally see Tony building this thing up even bigger in his head, that's even true. if it was never that big yes. or important. That's, that's because of the way they sort of canonize, lionize these deceased people that right. came into their lives, and and they're always surrounded by death in this universe. And so over time, it grows into this monumental thing. That's and, true. Yeah. But I think for the sake of entertainment, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. You you need them to interact more for it to all really work. But one thing that you'd notice about some of the reviews is it seemed like people thought that this was going to be a Tony Soprano origin story. I'm not yeah. sure if they ever really promised that, but this is clearly not what it is. Absolutely. And I think some people right. are a little confused by it. In fact, young Tony Soprano is not even really in it that much He's compared to some the of the focus. other characters. Yeah. Yeah, the character is a is a guy, Dickie Maltesante, who's not in The Sopranos. Right. Christopher's father, who's long dead by the time The Sopranos, the show starts, but is referenced on the show. And he's basically the main character, which I think if you researched it enough, you knew that that's where this was going. Yes. But some people, I think, maybe didn't realize that. and they I thought, did research it, and I did know that, but I still expected junior and tony's dad to be a little bit more prominently featured than they were yeah i did too tony's dad is not in it that much at all but we were talking about the fact that they cast a recognizable actor john bernthal who we know that you don't like (laughs) that's right from the widows episode although i think i cut out some of what you were saying but (laughs) oh that's true okay well at least now it's on the record then some (laughs) some of us know that you don't like him yeah but it's sort of like planning for something in the future like okay we're in case we do more we have somebody who could be the lead in a future movie 
playing Tony's father. Because it's weird that he would just be like, yeah, I'll be in this, but I'm only in like, it's sort of like Widows. He's That's right. not yeah. in it very much. Exactly, yes. <laughs> he seems to do a lot of those types of roles. Anyway, you can check out The Many Saints of Newark for yourself for 30 days or however long it is on HBO Max. It's also in theaters if you'd like to see it that way. I gave it three and a half stars out of five on Letterboxd. Matt yep. gave it three. Maybe. And yet, it felt like our reviews were very far apart, even though they were only a half star. <laughs> well, sometimes that's just the way it is. I was saying it's one of my favorite movies of 2021. Not that I've seen that many because of you know the world we're living in and talking about how funny it is and you're listing complaints. Yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes I focus on the negative. All right, so thank you for listening. We are just kicking off Greatest October. It's going to be a jam-packed month. We have a lot coming up, a lot to get to. So thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed. If you haven't already, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. They mean so much to us to see. We love it. Send us your sticker requests. Let us know if you'd like a sticker. Interact with us on Twitter, please. We love it. Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby, and we will talk to you real soon.
What did we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Yes, sir. I'm fucked if I know what we did. Yes, sir. It's uh, hard to say. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs>